Hide-and-seek is a game that every child plays growing up, a game that almost all parents teach their children. As my own children have grown up, I have seen how their enthusiasm for the game has changed as they age. When they were around kindergarten age, they were terrible at the game, but they were so enthusiastic and enjoyed playing hide-and-seek. They would try to hide, but they weren't very good, because as I would count to ten, they would hide but not stay fully hidden. You would see their head bobbing or their bodies sticking out from their hiding place. Or you would hear their giggles as they tried to muffle their sound, trying to stay quiet. As they hit uh, the grade school age, they were much better at the game, and they did a better job at hiding and keeping quiet. But with limited space in our house, you would eventually find them. They were not old enough to go out of the confines of the house and hide elsewhere where you could never find them. But as they're now in their high school years, and I'm sure in their college years, they don't care to play hide-and-go-seek with you anymore. Even if you were to insist that they play hide-and-seek with you, they will simply stand in front of you when you finish counting to ten and say something sarcastic like, Oh, look, you found me. I lose. I'm done. Now let me get back to playing on my computer. Or if they really want to mess with you as a young adult playing this game that you have insisted that they play, they could run away, run out, drive off, or take their bikes and race over to a park or to their friend's house where you'll not be able to find them for hours and eventually you have to call their cell phones because it's not funny anymore and you're worried that you can't find them. Anyway, suffice it to say, we don't play hide-and-seek in our family anymore. But in many ways, we still play a hide-and-seek game with God as it relates to sin in our day-to-day. And sadly, we've gotten very good at playing it as we have aged. When we were young, we were so innocent and inexperienced, so we weren't very good at playing the hide-and-seek sin game. It was very easy to catch us because sometimes we would just confess because our conscience bothered us, or we weren't very good at hiding sin. But as we get older, we become better at this game. We're good at hiding sin, but we're still under the protective care of our parents who set strict rules and boundaries where we are able to go and where we're not. They were able to keep us in line because we were too afraid to go beyond the set boundaries and experience the punishment. But then in adulthood, when we gain our independence, we don't really care about getting caught and we will openly commit sin because we don't answer to anyone and say, I don't care if you catch me or you see me. Or we just see in knowing that our parents and our guardians will never find out. They'll never be able to reprimand us because we can go really far away outside of the borders of our homes and do whatever we want. You and I know, my friends, that as we get older, we get very good at playing the hide-and-seek sin game. But at whatever age, we should be reminded that sin is a serious matter to God. As we continue our sermon series titled, Courage in the Crucible, studying the book of Joshua, we want to be reminded that we can find courage to live for the Lord if we live a life of holiness. Because a life of sin will suck the courage out of our life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7, as we need to be reminded of some biblical principles as it relates to sin. And if there are sins in your life unconfessed, then I encourage that God will use the text today as well as the Holy Spirit, to convict your hearts so that you will ask God for forgiveness and resolve to live changed lives. Let me now read from Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. 
But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, and the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. As this chapter opens, we find out that there is a major problem after the victory at the city of Jericho. Achan from the tribe of Judah had stolen some things from the city of Jericho and kept it for himself against the Lord's specific instructions that everything in the city of Jericho was to be destroyed. Look at verse 1 to see that this act by one man is accounted to the entire community. The children of Israel committed a trespass. And the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. How is it that one sin by one man affected the entire community? Because, my friends, that is what sin does. Sin isn't often just limited to affecting one person. Even a little sin affects the people around you. It affects your family. It affects your church. It affects your community. In addition to grieving the Lord greatly, it affects your witness and testimony to the world. You know, many believe that their personal sin is okay as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. It doesn't affect anyone else, so what's the problem, goes the excuse. Or, I'm the only one affected. Those are only attempts to justify sinful practices that cause immeasurable harm to other people. Sin does affect other people because it also affects you deeply. As someone wrote, an implication of private sin is that it produces guilt. Guilt, in turn, changes a person's private and public actions. Someone feeling guilty is more prone to stress, irritability, and suspicion. Unhealthy conditions such as sleeplessness and depression may manifest themselves, starting a chain reaction of damaging effects. Even if a person's sin remains undiscovered for a time, it impacts on other areas of life which will always have a negative bearing on others. Personal sins, hidden sins, will affect others. For example, if you have an extramarital affair or a one-night stand and it is discovered, it will certainly affect your immediate family, your spouse, your children. It will affect the other man or the other woman's family if they have one. I'm sure you've lied to them as well. It affects all those who knew you to be a Christian. And even if you were a Christian leader, think about how shaming that must be. It also affects the name of the church that you attend, the name of Christ. And you've lost, effectively, your testimony to the world as they remember this sin. You may no longer have the moral authority that comes from you speaking about spiritual things. Or perhaps if you're caught stealing or cheating or coveting or slandering or even constantly lying, it affects family, it affects other families, it affects your testimony, it affects you, and it will have a negative impact on the name of Christ because you are His followers. Now look what happens specifically to the people of Israel in verses 2 to 5. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Aven on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, 
but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. As they spied out the next city to conquer in their promised land, the report was you only need about two or 3,000 soldiers to take the small city of Ai. But sadly, they lost a sure victory battle, and 36 men of Israel were killed in this failed attack on the city of Ai. Achan's sin led the Lord to take his hand of blessing from the people of Israel, and so they lost the battle they should have easily won. Now, we should understand that while not every loss or trial we experience in life is because of sin, it does show that there are losses, punishments, and disciplines, and trials that come into our life that God allows because of sin. To ensure that it doesn't occur, we need to live rightly before God. 36 people lost their lives. They were innocent, but they were caught up in the consequences of Achan's sin. You see, principle number one, sin has serious consequences affecting you and others. Sin has serious consequences affecting you and others. Think about this truth the next time you plan to engage in sin. Not only will it affect you, the name of Christ will be shamed. Your loved ones and others will be affected. Look at how else this one sin of Achan affected the community. Look at verses 6 to 8. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Joshua and the leader of the people were distraught. They had no idea at this point why this has happened. They questioned why God would allow them to enter into the promised land, only to lose and to be destroyed by their enemies. They wondered out loud if they would have been better if they had stayed on the other side of the Jordan and never crossed into the promised land. The leaders had lost their confidence in the Lord. And in verse 8, they realized that the people had also lost their confidence. That a small group of men from Ai were able to rout and kill a much larger superior force. You know, the people had already been scared to enter the land. They had faith exercises to build up their faith. And now they lost almost all confidence in this defeat. This highlights one of the problems when a Christian or a Christian leader sins. Those who are young in the faith, those who we call baby Christians, or those who seek the truth about Jesus, may lose confidence in the truths of the Scripture and the gospel message we bring. Yes, a Christian should not look at other Christians, but to Christ. But it's only natural and inevitable to look up to messengers, to leaders who bring the gospel, the good news. It's only natural that people look to the lives of the one who bring the message. The people who profess following Jesus, Christians, and especially Christian leaders who are so vocal in their teaching and preaching of the word. But when these individuals suffer a moral failure or sin, 
then others will lose confidence in the Christian faith and in what is being preached and taught. And often those things are shattered in the lives of those who hear because it seems so hypocritical. And so think about that the next time you think about sinning. There are other ramifications for such a seemingly small sin. Look at verse 9. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Another problem caused by this sin is now the enemy will be emboldened because a smaller force was able to best and rout a superior force of the Israelites. Now the enemy would be more likely to attack them knowing that they can be defeated. Also, Joshua tells the Lord, What about your name, Lord? What about your name? The name of the Lord is affected. The name of the Lord was shamed. What great things he had done in parting the Red Sea and helping the Israelites defeat the two great Amorite kings of the east and the drying up of the river Jordan, which showed the greatness of God and terrified the Canaanites, would all be forgotten because I's little soldier force was able to overcome and rout the mighty soldiers of the living God. God's name is now tarnished, and the enemy is emboldened to move against God's people. My friends, remember that the next time you want to sin, as a follower of Jesus Christ, your actions affect the name of the Lord. You may not care if you get caught, but I hope you may remember that your actions affect the name of Jesus Christ. Recently, I sadly read about two pastors of megachurches in Houston, Texas, who were arrested and sent to jail because they embezzled and stole from the church. I won't mention their names, but you can easily Google who these pastors were. But what made me sad was not what necessarily they had stolen, which was sad, but what made me discouraged was that the name of Christ and the name of the churches were dragged through the mud in the media. I don't think Aiken was thinking about all of these terrible ramifications when he did what he did. He forgot that sin had consequences that extended beyond just him. It affected the entire community. Look at verses 10 to 12. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. The Lord spoke to Joshua and explained the reason for their defeat at the city of Ai. And the reason was that the children of Israel had sinned because one person had stolen from Jericho. Again, look how the Lord saw it as the wrongdoing of the community, even if one person did it because of the complete ramification of sin. The Lord said that the reason they could not stand up to this little city was that they had been doomed to destruction meaning that if this sin wasn't dealt with, then they would continue to suffer defeat. Further, the Lord said He would no longer be with them unless Joshua sought out what was stolen and destroyed it. 
you get a glimpse of a very important principle. Principle number two. A holy God hates sin and wants nothing to do with it. A holy God hates sin and wants nothing to do with it. You know, I know this principle is often repeated in many of my messages, but it is a theme that is often repeated throughout the Scriptures from Genesis all the way to the book of the Revelation. A holy God wants nothing to do with sin. The very character of God is that He is holy. He is righteous. And He wants nothing to do even with the slightest and smallest of sins. You know, we all know about God's grace and mercy. And the Lord is always extending grace and mercy to us. And we know that He will forgive us of our sins when we truly repent of them. But at times we only focus on this theological truth. And so we take advantage that God will always forgive us of our sins so that we have the liberty to sin. But the Bible tells us we should not. We forget that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds that our God is a holy God. And the Bible tells us holiness is His name. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. Holiness is His name. Can you imagine Jesus standing next to you and you introducing your mistress to Him? Or you say, Lord, look. Look at all my achievements. All these achievements I've garnered through lying and cheating. Lord, take a look. Or can you imagine presenting to Jesus all of your money through ill-gotten gains and say, Lord, Lord, here, take your 10% cut. Or can you imagine showing God your report card and saying, Lord, look at the nice grades I got for you with the help of cheating. Aren't you proud of me? Or we say, Lord, look, I bought this new car because I was envious and covetous of what someone else had. Or, Lord, look, look, I took on this speaking role. I took on this achievement because I was so proud of myself. Aren't you proud of me, God? Or, Lord, look, come, look at my computer screen. I want to show you pictures of naked people. Can you imagine us doing that before a holy God? I hope not. And yet, in many ways, that's what we're doing. The omniscient God is next to us, and we still do all of these things. Don't forget God's holiness when you think about His love and grace. Unless Joshua dealt with it as the nation's leader, God told Joshua he would not stick around. You say, Pastor, it was the fault of one. Why blame the community? Well, it's all about accountability. The Lord expects the community to keep the individual accountable. And that individual needs to put themselves under the accountability of the community. Applicationally today, that's why it's important that every Christian is part of a local church. They are a member of the local church, and specifically that they are part of a smaller group, a life group in our church, where they can be held accountable. And that's why leaders need to be accountable also. I put myself willingly under the accountability of the church elders and the church board so that power doesn't get to my head. And by keeping each other accountable, it reminds us that we worship a holy God who hates sin, who wants nothing to do with it. And if I were to sin, I have to answer not only to God, but also to my church community, my accountability partners, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at me at verses 13 to 15. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. 
Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. God clearly instructs Joshua he needs to go search out and destroy the stolen things. And likewise, the people must sanctify or cleanse themselves to examine their hearts and not allow sin to be a part of their lives. God was going to help identify the perpetrator, but everyone was to identify the sins in their life and clean up. And once that person is identified, Joshua was to have him killed along with destroying all of his belongings. Now you think to yourself, that seems rather harsh. Why don't we just identify him, make him return the stuff, and just punish him so that he will learn his lesson and never do it again? Why such a dramatic, drastic step to rid the community of this man, his sinful acts, and all traces of his life? Where is the grace? Well, this instruction from God was to show the people that a complete separation and break from what God finds offensive is what is needed. We need to rid our lives completely of sin. And here it speaks of principle number three. Actively rid your life of sin by identifying, searching, and dealing with it. Actively rid your life of sin by identifying, searching, and dealing with it. To rid your life of sin, you have to identify the things that are sinful in your life. It's not up to you what you think are sinful or not. The Bible is a great starting place to help you identify what is sin and what is not. What is consistent with how God wants you to live and what He is angry with. Because in our minds we have a very convoluted way of justifying sin and sinful acts. We think that God may somehow be okay with our sinful actions in certain situations. And that's where reading the Bible gives us clarity. Then once you have identified those sins, and you have to self-examine your life to see if you're guilty of those sins, to really be honest with yourself, to see if it shows up in your life, to see in what form it shows up in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you search out those things. Remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We should be asking that of God every day. Search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. I want to examine my life with truth and honesty. And I want to identify the sins in my life. And then once we have identified it and searched it out, then we need to deal with the sin head on, asking God for forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and then taking the actions needed to deal with the sins of our life. 
It's not only to ask God for forgiveness. That washes away our sin. But then to show that we really are sorry for our sinful ways and we need to take the actions to deal with the sins of our life. Sometimes we have to take very drastic steps to rid the sins of our life and to ensure that we don't fall constantly into the temptation of the sins of our life. And so that may entail cutting off certain things so that we don't keep falling into the same sin. For example, if it relates to sexual sin, let's say you keep falling into the sin of looking at pornography. You ask God for forgiveness, of course, and He forgives you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But you also have to take some action. Perhaps that action is to block yourselves from going to those websites or you need to get rid of those pictures or those videos stored on your hard drives or on your devices. Or you may have to pay for a software program that alerts accountability partners if you go to those sites that you're not supposed to. Or you may have to open up to Christian friends and pastors that you are struggling in this area and ask them to keep you accountable. Or perhaps in your house, you may have to reposition your computer screens so that all can see. You may have to set up rules in your home to ensure that you yourself, even as the adults, do not fall into sin and set a great example for your children. Like in our home, no doors are to be locked unless you are changing. That means children, adults alike, in our house, have the freedom to enter any room at any time. If you're engaging, perhaps in chatting with people who are causing you to think lustfully or engaging in intimate conversations with someone who's not your spouse, then perhaps you may have to set up boundaries or give your spouse free access to your phone at any time. I know of couples, even in our Grace community, who had to move to another country just to save their marriage. And that was the right move because somehow with the third party still living here in the Philippines, they realized that the temptation to fall into sin was great. Those drastic steps and actions are, may be what is required of you to do these things, to rid your life of certain sins or to prevent or lessen the chances of you falling back into temptation. Are you as a follower of Jesus Christ willing to take those steps? If you're involved in an inappropriate relationship, when you ask God for forgiveness, are you willing to set up the boundaries? And perhaps that means cutting off any conversation with that person again, never speaking with that person again. You may even have to go to the extent of deleting your social media account, unfriending someone, or canceling Netflix, or giving up K-drama if those things allow you to fall into temptation or affect sin in your life by causing you to lust or to covet. If it's the sin of pride, then perhaps you may have to decline an award or an invitation to speak. Those are all dramatic measures and steps that seem silly in the 21st century modern world today. But my friends, those are the things that may be required of you in your life so that sin can be rid from your life. With the help of the Lord, you can do it. But you must deal with it head on. You must recognize that it is a problem in your life. If you're going to ask God for forgiveness and really repent and recognize that what you have done is evil and it displeases the Lord and that it grieves the heart of God, 
then you and I need to be able to take the steps necessary to keep ourselves pure. Look at verses 16 to 19. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribes of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, and the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And so Joshua did as the Lord commanded, and Achan was identified as being the culprit. Joshua asked that this man confesses, and that through his confession, he would give glory to God. Would you underline that in your Bibles? Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to Him. Why is that important? Never forget that the purity of our lives, the purity and integrity of our character, the holiness of our lives is what brings glory to God. It is not in our possessions. It is not in our accolades. It is not in our prestige that we bring glory to God. It is not in our wins that we bring glory to God. It is in the confessed, repentant, holy life that brings glory to God. Identify, search, and deal with the sins in your life so that your life can bring glory to God. And isn't that our desire as we live this life for the one who saved us to bring glory to Him? Look at verses 20 to 22. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. Achan told Joshua what he had done. He confessed. And Achan would have been a soldier that marched around the city of Jericho. When the city walls fell, he went up into the city, and he saw the spoils of the city, and his eyes happened to fall upon a beautiful Babylonian garment and silver and gold. Remember, the silver and gold was to have been brought into the treasury of the Lord, and the garment was to have been burned as they were not to take anything for themselves. Well, the Bible tells us Achan confessed and he said he coveted those things. And somehow he was able to hide it during the battle and he took it into his tent and hid it underground under his tent. Joshua sent messengers and indeed they found the stolen things there. Notice that when his eyes laid upon those things, the admonition of the Lord was nowhere to be found in his mind. There was no conflict or struggle in his soul. He didn't say, well, I knew it was wrong, but I took it anyways. He just took it, and then he hid it. Now, we don't know what was going through the mind of Achan, but he could have justified it in his mind, the same way we justify sin in our mind. Oh, God won't miss these things. God isn't worried about small things like this. God doesn't need it. Or perhaps he may have thought, you know, I'm entitled to this. I have endured much as a soldier of Israel. You know, 
God wants me to have the good things, doesn't he? I'm deserving of a little good things, and maybe it so happened that God allowed my eyes to fall upon this beautiful Babylonian garment uh, and this gold and silver. God meant for me to have it. Or perhaps Achan would have thought, I deserve it. I worked hard for God as a soldier of His. I deserve it. My friends, that's how we justify sin in our lives as well. We will do the same thing. We'll say, I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. God wants me to have it. But the words of the Lord are always clear, and that's why, again, we need to read the Word of God. So in no way will we be rationalizing away our sin because the allure of sin is strong. The attraction to sin is strong that it caused the soldier of Israel to do what God specifically told him not to do. Here's principle number four. Do not underestimate the strong attraction and allure of sin. Do not underestimate the strong attraction and allure of sin. No one should ever underestimate the power of the attraction of sin. When you underestimate it, when you think that you will never fall into the sin of pride or the sin of lust, when you think that you will never succumb to sin because you go to church or perhaps you do your daily devotion, then you will find that oftentimes you fall into it. The allure of sin is very strong. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18 reminds us, and it will pull you in. How do you break the attraction of sin? Well, we have the victory through Jesus Christ. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and the conviction that you desire to live in holiness and that you hate sin as God hates sin, and you have resolved not to engage in it or not to do it, then you can begin to break away from the allure and the attraction of sin. You need to set up systems in place and have an accountability structure that will ensure that it will be harder for you to fall into the temptation of sin and sin's allure. Without these things, even the strongest Christian the most spiritual people, the greatest apologist can fall into sin. Remember, Adam and Eve had it all. They were able to commune with God, fellowshipping with Him in the beauty of the Garden of Eden, but they still succumb to the temptation of Satan. Notice how Achan had to hide those things which he took that shows us human nature. Can I just say that if you have to hide something, then what you are probably doing is wrong. Isn't that true? If you hide something, then you and I know that something must be wrong with it. If you have to hide a relationship in the darkness of a corner or in a hotel room or only when you are alone in the house, then something is wrong. If you have to hide an action like what you're watching or what you're reading, then something must be wrong. If you cannot show what you're watching or what you're reading to your children or to your family, if you have to hide money or possession, then something must be wrong. Or if you walk into your children's room or into your employee's workspace and they quickly switch tabs or screens or close the computer, then most likely they're looking at something they're not supposed to. Why else then would they quickly shut it off? Or you know what happens when you walk into the room and immediately the TV channel changes or there's a pause in the movie, then you know that something is wrong. 
when things must be hidden, oftentimes there's something wrong with it. But if you can invite your friends, your children, your parents, your family members to watch what you're watching, to read what you're reading, when you have nothing to hide, when you can introduce someone that you like, that you are in a godly relationship with, to everyone, then there is nothing wrong with it. Remember the first reaction of Adam and Eve when they sinned against the Lord? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, that they hid themselves from the Lord because why? They were ashamed and they were guilty. The attraction and the allure of sin will cause us to hide our shame and our guilt. And how in the world is that a good thing? And how in the world does that honor God? Look at verses 23 to 26. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from his fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place had been called the Valley of Achor to this day. This action seems so harsh. Imagine even his children suffered the consequences of the terrible sins of Achan. While grace was not shown in this instance, we have to trust that God in His fairness did the right thing. Most likely these children were also in on the crime. It would have been very hard to hide these things without their help. Notice his wife was not mentioned, and so perhaps she was not involved. God is fair when He adjudicates judgment. But this serves as a warning for all Israel that if anyone was thinking about pulling a stunt like this again, then they would know that the punishment would be dealt out and it would be terrible because a holy God punishes for sins. Yes, God deals with us today with grace and mercy, but that does not negate His hatred for sin. You see, a fifth principle we need to understand, there is a penalty for the price of sin and it has to be paid. The penalty for the price of sin has to be paid. Penalty of the price of sin has to be paid. Yes, Achan confessed and told everything, but that doesn't negate the fact that what he did was still wrong, and it was against God's clear instructions. And he and his entire household and everything that he owned had to pay the price for his sins. If you think the punishment was too severe, remember, his actions caused the death of 36 men, and there were other terrible ramifications, which we already talked about. Just because grace wasn't shown to him doesn't mean God isn't loving. A loving God has to institute discipline and punishment. That is what makes him loving and fair. Perhaps many soldiers might have wanted also to take from the spoils of Jericho, but they didn't steal in obedience to God's command, and so they lived in blessings. And so the lesson must be taught that those who obey will be blessed, they will live, but those who disobey would be disciplined and punished. 
And that's why grace is called grace because it is unmerited or undeserved favor. You know, God could have showed Achan and his family grace. And if he were to have spared their life, certainly it would be grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. But in this case, God doesn't show grace. And he doesn't have to. And so Achan still rightfully got what he deserved. He had to pay the price of his sins. Don't blame God if He doesn't choose to show you grace and He gives you what you deserve when you sin. Grace is just that, undeserved favor. You don't always get God's grace. You know, we know this to be true in our own homes. Each of you have household rules. And everyone in the house knows the consequences of breaking those rules. But what if, knowing the consequences of breaking those rules, your children still break the rules? What do you do? Do you always punish them as you say you will? Or will you show them grace? Every parent knows that this is one of the biggest struggles in parenting. You know, if you show love and grace when a rule is broken, then the children may take advantage of the rule and think, well, the parents aren't serious. Or other siblings may think, well, that's not fair. Or... They'll tell you, remember, when I did the same thing, you did this, but how come when she did this, you didn't do the same? But if a parent shows discipline and carries out the words of punishment they say they will enact, then the children will think, well, they're so unloving. They don't show understanding. They're not exhibiting forgiveness. Because, as a child will say, I already said sorry. Why do I have to be disciplined And as parents, we know. We have to look at the totality of the circumstance, often the age of the children, the situation, and we have to show grace or to punish and discipline, but it comes out of a loving heart. If we punish, it's because we know they deserve it. If we show grace, it's because we know they need to be shown grace at that moment. It doesn't mean that they aren't guilty. But my point is this. Whatever judgment is doled out, the parents should not be blamed. It's the children who did the sin. The offender needs to look at themselves. Has the penalty been paid? In the same way, God showed grace to us when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. Jesus Christ willingly died for our sins. He paid the price through His own death, the penalty of our sins in order that God can show grace, in order that God can save us when we don't deserve it. Because the penalty of our sins has been paid for through the death of the Son of God. But even if Jesus Christ died on our behalf, God can still choose to discipline us. And that is well within His rights. There are consequences to sins. If He shows us grace, then we also cannot fault Him because it is undeserved. The penalty price has been paid. If He chooses to discipline us, then we also cannot fault Him, because He has always been gracious to us, but we do indeed deserve it. Achan deserved what he received. And so again, remember, do not blame God if He chooses to discipline versus showing grace. It is up to Him. We need to look at ourselves to see if we have sinned. It's our fault. And there is the consequence to sin that we need to understand. 
My friends, when we come to this passage, it may scare some of you as you read it, because you may think, I could have been an Achan. I could do just that, or I have done something similar. And wow, the punishment of God. I think that this passage is put here to remind all of us, readers today, about what it means to take sin seriously. We've forgotten many things about sin because we have justified it in our minds. Remember that sin has serious consequences affecting you and others. Remember that a holy God hates sin and wants nothing to do with it. And when you sin, you shame the name of the Lord. Remember, we need to be actively ridding our lives of sin by identifying it, searching it out, and dealing with it. Perhaps it will require drastic actions on our part. We also need to remember not to underestimate the strong attraction and allure of sin. We have the victory in Christ, and with the enablement of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome our attraction to sin, but it requires that we are proactive and intentional. We need to remember that the penalty for the price of sin has to be paid. Praise God that in our life, that penalty for sin has been paid through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But we also need to remember that it is up to God whether He wants us to have the consequences and the discipline that comes with our own sinful action. So remember those things and hope that it will encourage us to avoid sinning in our life, to open up our eyes to the things we're doing to ensure that we indeed do live a life that is holy and pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is important for us to listen and to hear again. Father, we want to glorify you with our lives. But we have forgotten that we glorify you in our lives through how we live this life, through the integrity of our character, through our relationship with you, through our personal holiness. Would you work in the lives of the men and women who are listening to this message, that you would challenge them to live lives holy and pleasing, and that if there are sins in their life, they would confess it, and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you would forgive them. And Father, I pray that we would all take steps necessary to help us to avoid sin in our life, to set up the boundaries to keep us from falling into temptation, and to bring together men and women who will keep us accountable so that we will not be tempted by sin. Lord, we do want to live a life holy and pleasing so that one day when we stand before you, we will stand before you faultless through your Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.